0: And welcome to a, another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and a couple of things we're going to talk about, one has to do with the weather, and you might be asking yourself, the weather, really? But I think it's good. We've got uh, Congress as we forage into the year 2024, it's an election year. Congress, they think they need a pay raise. Talk about that. Plus some other things coming up if we can get to it. But as of our conversation right now, you might view this at another time or listen to it at another time. But as of my initial conversation with you, much of the country, especially east of the Rockies, but much of the country under some sort of severe weather, warning, watch, And much of the country enduring what could be called blizzard-like conditions. Okay. So severe winter weather. A lot of, uh, and it's been going on for like a week, maybe. Um, I know where I'm at. We've had seven inches of snow overnight. The wind is blowing. Road conditions are poor. And it's kind of been like that all week. There's been a few snow days. School's out. Never really knew what uh, snow days meant until this week, and it's been lovely. But much of the country is dealing with severe winter weather. Maybe you've got rain. Maybe you've got snow. Maybe you've got cold. I mean, we've got historic temperatures here in the next day or two that they're predicting with wind chill 40 below zero. And so it reminded me of an article that I read a little uh little bit ago but it reminded me of an article that talked about these predictions of global warming and how it was going to be the end of the world echo apocalyptic i believe is what they called them but remember it started with the amazon if you're old enough you remember the amazon was going to be destroyed or was shrinking no not the place online that you buy stuff from but the literally the literal like forest in Brazil, Amazon, was shrinking because of global warming, the climate. I think Sting, the police, Sting, was even talking about it, singing about it, whatever. So it became a, a pretty prominent thing in the 80s. Then when people discovered that the Amazon, in fact, was not going anywhere, then we, because you can actually go down and see it. And in fact, it was decreasing because of other reasons like people tearing it down or even natural causes like wildfires. So they changed it to the ozone layer. There's a big hole in the ozone layer, and we're all going to get evaporated from heat that comes from the sun. It's either going to zap us or take all of our. H2O and we're all going to wither up like a raisin on the vine or I guess it's a grape on the vine that becomes a raisin, but you know what I mean? Well, then eventually that kind of got debunked in a way and then it became more of the polar ice caps were melting and we're going to end the world that way. Then it was acid rain, not be confused with Prince and purple rain. And then it was like, so instead of specific things, they just say, Oh, it's global warming. The temperatures are rising. Well, then you have something like going on as we speak, blizzard conditions. So they changed it to climate change It's become a religion to a lot of people. Now I'm not opposed to climate changing. Obviously I've read some things, for example, the pollution that goes up in the air, whether it's man-made pollution or whether it's volcanoes that spew ash and stuff into the universe, and then it settles back down maybe on some glaciers, some snow, and, you know, stuff like that. Okay, there are some things that do cause climate to change. I'll give you that. But when you get to these religious nuts of climate change, that's what we're talking about, and how extreme they go in their predictions and how wrong they are in their predictions and how they try to make us change our life. Okay, first off, you got John Kerry and Al Gore. They're jet-setting around the world, living a very luxurious lifestyle, and leaving behind a bigger carbon footprint that's infinitely greater than what you or I could ever produce. And they're telling us that we need to save the planet, cut down on carbon. Now, it's even gotten so, uh, so far that Entities such as the World Economic Forum is attacking gas appliances like the stove. Even the vice president is out there saying that we need to cut back on gas stoves, but at Christmas time she's putting out pictures on social media of her and hubby cooking around a gas stove. Obviously, you've got people that are trying to get you to get an E V, an electric vehicle. We'll talk about that. But, as we get started with the conversation, there were forty one this was the article that I read that I thought about the other day when I'm watching the snowfall forty one end of world predictions resulting from climate change okay forty one of them because of climate change. but before we get to it, some headlines from newspapers passed. I jumped in my Delorean time machine and went back in time and I got some newspapers. no, I did not get a uh Gambling result book, sports book. I got newspaper headlines. 1972, UN Environment Protection boss warns we have 10 years to stop the catastrophe. 1982, Tolba, head of UN Environment Program in the New York Times. If the nations of the world continue their current policies, they will face An environmental catastrophe as irreversible as any nuclear holocaust by the year 2000. And it goes on and on. Some pretty outrageous, outlandish. Uh, Mustafa Tolba, head of UN Environment Program in 1990. We must fix climate change before 1995. We shall win or lose the climate struggle in the first years of 1990s. And so it goes on and on. So when you talk about climate change, absolutely, climate change is real. But it's adapting to it that I think is important, okay? And coming up with real solutions. I know automatically you go to coal and gas and fossil fuels, and we have to get rid of them because they're bad. Well, we'll talk about that and see. But here are the things that they predicted, okay? So in 1971, these are just a few of them. I'm not going to read all 41 of them. These are just some of the highlights. In, 19 four, uh, I'm sorry, in 1971, they predicted that a new ice age was coming by the year 2020 or 2030. Now, if you look outside, you might say, oh, the ice age is here, but it's going to pass. The blizzard conditions that you are currently enjoying will pass, and the sun will come out tomorrow. Because it's predicted to come out tomorrow. But a new ice age coming. Well, that hasn't happened. And we're halfway practically to 2030. In 1974, it was predicted that the ozone depletion would be a great peril to life. Well, I guess we all, I guess we can thank the heavy metal movement and the collapse of the heavy metal movement on uh, the Sunset Strip for fixing the ozone layer because big hair and Aquanet went away. And apparently, the ozone layer is now healed. In 1980, they predicted that acid rain was going to kill life in lakes. 1988, the Maldive Islands will be underwater by 2018. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing all kinds of advertisements in the Maldives to travel there to these resorts where you can actually have, like, I don't think it's called a hut, but like a hut on the water. So I don't think the Maldives is underwater. Rising sea levels in 1989 were predicted to obliterate nations if nothing was done by the year 2000. I don't think any nations have been obliterated by rising sea levels. In 1989, New York City's West Side Highway was predicted to be underwater by 2019. Well, that hasn't happened. In the year, 2000, the year 2000, it was predicted children won't know what snow is. Well, they do now. let go look outside. In 2008, climate genius Al Gore predicts an ice-free Arctic by 2013. 2009, King Charles, at the time was Prince Charles, said that we had 96 months to save the world. In 2009, the U.K. prime minister says 50 days to save the planet from catastrophe. And again, these are all predictions that were made that have not come true. Not one climate doomed day prediction has come true. 2013, an Arctic ice-free, or the Arctic will be ice-free by 2015. In uh, 1970, the world will use up all its natural resources. I guess that's why we are going to mealworms and crickets and caterpillars or... Um, grasshoppers in our meat now because we're using up all our natural resources. 1966, oil gone in 10 years. Well, they did have a crisis in 76, but oil is still here. In fact, it's the devil's juice. 72, oil depleted in 20 years. So 72, 82, 92. Nope, not true. 1977, Department of Energy says oil will peak in the 90s. And maybe that's why we went to war. Because of the Department of Energy's 1977 prediction, 1980, oil peak in 2000, 1996, peak oil in 2020, 2022, peak oil in 2010, oil still around. In 2005, Manhattan underwater by 2015, 1970, urban citizens will require gas masks by 1985. In 1970, predicted nitrogen buildup will make all land unusable. In 1970, they predicted decaying pollution will kill all the fish. Well, I guess they couldn't find Nemo. And in 1970, my favorite, killer bees. 1970 predicted oceans dead in a decade. U.S. water rationing by 1970. Food rationing by 1980. In 1988, the world's leading climate expert predicts lower Manhattan underwater by 2018. In 2000, they predicted snowfalls are now a thing of the past. Go look outside. There's your evidence that that's not true. And then in 1989, the UN warns that entire nations wiped off the face of the earth by the year 2000 from global warming. Remember in 2000, Y2K, everyone was predicting the end of the world, not because of climate change, but because of the computers. And that really didn't happen either. So, again, there are a lot of things that were predicted. Those were just a few of the 41 that were predicted doomsday, echo apocalyptic, that did not happen. So, my question is this if everyone is saying that we need to do away with a bunch of stuff because of climate change, okay? Now we've got gas stoves because the World Economic Forum, that dude that heads that thing, says that we need to do a gas stoves. Um, They want to do away with some, somehow do away with your um, water heater. Go to electric water heater. Um, Obviously your car. Okay. In fact, there was a couple people that did some things. Okay, here. I'll just jump to it right away. So there was a guy that wanted to go someplace to Chicago and he, I believe, was in Canada and he purchased a Ford EV truck and he took his family on a road trip to Chicago and he said it was the biggest scam in modern times. He said, first of all, there wasn't enough charging stations. Second of all, he ran into all kinds of problems and apparently his vehicle was over six figures, his truck. Eventually, he had to give it up. And he had to rent a car, a gas-powered car, and he had to go to uh, Chicago in the gas-powered car, finish his uh, trip. You can go look that up for yourself. In Massachusetts, firefighters say electric cars spontaneously burst in the flames outside of a home. I think it was in Hawaii, wasn't it, with that uh, fire, the wildfire in Hawaii? That cars, electric vehicles, the batteries were just exploding. EV fires igniting after the flooding. Well, that was another one. I think it was. Maybe Maybe I'm getting confused. Maybe it wasn't a Maybe it was the flooding in Florida. Some electric vehicles in Florida bursting into flames after coming into contact with salt water. Residual saltwater particles left behind on flooded batteries and battery components can conduct electricity, resulting in short circuits and eventual fires. Safety officials are urging. So this was after Idalia flooding in Um, Florida safety officials are urging EV owners with vehicles that flooded to take action now as fires can ignite weeks after flooding. So again, those are the batteries, the EV batteries. So there's a lot of problems with electric vehicles. In fact, I think it was the department of energy had a story somewhere around here, the uh, department of energy lady, she went on a, uh, a trip cross country and it turned out to be kind of a PR nightmare. Because not only was there problems with charging stations and not having enough, a story broke that she had an entourage that would go ahead of her, I would imagine in gas-powered cars, and reserve spots so that she could pull up and not have to wait. And a family that had a baby and some young kids tried to you know, get to this charging station. But apparently this government official's people, who was the uh, uh, energy secretary, wouldn't allow them to, and there's all kinds of problems. So you can see that there's just story after story after story. Now, I know there's people that have EVs, and they swear by them, and that's great, and that's fine. This isn't a conversation about, again, it's about you do you. If you want an EV, go get one. But don't force it on me because I don't want one for several reasons. But that's the difference. It went back like we talked about with COVID. People force you into their way of thinking when it becomes a religion. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I don't want to. My choice. Your choice. You Want vaccines? Get them. That's my stance. But they are like, no, you have to get it. Have to get it. Have to get it. You have to have a green vehicle. You have to have a green house. You have to have all this stuff to save the planet my way. You have to eat mealworms. And you have to have grasshoppers and crickets in your food. Because we've got to save the planets. We can't have cars uh, on the road with gas-powered engines. We can't have cows farting. Because that's a problem, according to Gavin Newsom in California. And it goes on and on and on. And yet you have the House passing the largest expenditure on climate in U.S. history. Half a trillion dollars trying to get people off of fossil fuels. Now, when you take a look at all this, you look at the doom and gloom, okay? Okay. So, again, gas furnaces, gas stoves, gas vehicles, all bad, got to go. Uh, some states, I think like California, they've done away with gas uh, lawnmowers, gas blowers. So, the uh, remember Jerry Nadler just the other day said that we need migrant workers to pick our food. Nancy Pelosi has said that. We need migrant workers to work in uh, hotels and out in the fields picking crops and stuff like that. I mean, I don't understand why migrants can only achieve that level of a job? Why can't migrants be doctors and lawyers and other pe- other things? But using that same method of conversation, you go to California, a bulk of the landscape artists, aka gardeners, are Hispanic. And now you're taking away their gas-powered equipment. And so all the people in Beverly Hills and Bel Air, having their yards done, are demanding that their Migrant working gardeners use electric equipment, and we all know batteries die, and it takes a while to charge them up. wonder how that's working out. But let's take a look at it. Oh, this was the story, okay? Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm set up on a four-day electric vehicle road trip Somewhere, It was only four days. Uh, she knew charging might be a challenge. She probably didn't expect anyone to call the cops, and that's what happened at a stop. Holmes' entourage grappling with the limitations of the um, present condition of uh, charging stations. Her caravan of EVs, including the luxury Cadillac Lyric, a hefty F-150 from Ford, an affordable Bolt. Anybody drive a Bolt anymore? I didn't even know those cars existed. And then some other vehicles, Whatever. They were in Augusta, Georgia. Her advance team realized they weren't going to be enough plugs to go around. One of the station's four chargers was broken. Others were occupied. So an energy department staffer tried parking a non-electric vehicle by one of those charging stations to reserve a spot for the approaching secretary of energy. That did not go down well at all, according to reports. A regular gas-powered car blocking the only free spot for a charger In fact, a family that was boxed out on a sweltering day in Georgia with a baby in the vehicle was so upset they decided to get the authorities involved. They called the police. Sheriff's office couldn't do anything. It's not illegal for non-EV to claim a charging spot in Georgia. Energy Department staff scrambled to smooth over the situation, including sending other vehicles to slower chargers until both frustrated family and the secretary had room to charge. So, again, if the Secretary of the Energy Department had issues, if a guy going from Canada to Chicago had issues, if they're just blowing up, that's problematic. But, again, let's get away from the doomsday stuff. Okay, so all we look at is doomsday. End of the world if we don't do climate change. But what happens, seriously, what happens if we get warmer? I mean, you look outside right now, you've got wind chill well below zero probably got over a foot of snow. In some places, this goes on and on, like Canada goes on and on and on. Alaska goes on and on for months, right? In some places, it might go on for six months, depending on where you're at. But let's just take a look and see what would happen. However, before we do that, real quick, I read an article in Wired Magazine. Have you ever thought about what the process of mining these rare metals for electric vehicles and other things. I'm sure it might be iPhones and computers and things we use every day, smart TVs and stuff. But you ever stop to think about it? So I had a mine in China. Workers use ammonium sulfate poured into big holes to dissolve the clay around these rare metals. What's left is hauled out of the ever-expanding hole in the ground before being run through multiple acid baths to dissolve other unwanted compounds. Basically, the Earth is being destroyed to get these rare metals. The resulting compounds are baked in a kiln, finally revealing the rare metals required in electric car batteries. Just 0.2% of the result is rare metals. The other 99.8% is waste. 99.8% waste, Earth, and other compounds, which is now contaminated with toxic metals, is dumped back into the originally created holes. So, again, that's from Wired Magazine. You go look it up. Many of these rare earth mining processes also unleash plumes of sulfur dioxide and can harm uh, which goes in the atmosphere, harms aquatic life in nearby rivers and streams. 50 to 60% of cobalt comes from the Congo, which unfortunately has a poor human rights record with 40,000 children working in cobalt mines for $1 to $2 per day. In fact, I had a video that I was going to play, but I decided against it because it's kind of depressing. And uh, it's just not an image that I want to put in your mind, although maybe I should. Um, but it is. It's, it's these kids. They're like, obviously, they're in Africa. They're in the Congo, so they're black. But when you look at these kids, they're orange. They're oranger than Donald Trump because of the cobalt and the, and the clay and everything all over them. I mean, and they're in flip-flops. And so as you look to drive your EV and use your electric furnaces and stuff. Keep in mind that you've got children working in cobalt mines in the Congo in horrible working conditions. The BBC did a documentary on it. Just go look it up on any uh, video hosting internet site, and you'll see the terrible conditions, and some of them abused because they're not working fast enough. You know, we talked about uh, human trafficking last time on the last episode, and a lot of times when you think of human trafficking, you think of the sex trade slave or the sex slave trade, right? But what about just forced labor? Now, these kids may or may not be trafficked, but they're forced into labor. It's crazy. But what happens if we have global warming? Well, here's some places that might benefit from global warming. What about northern Minnesota and Michigan's Upper Peninsula? Climate change is commonly characterized by extremes in temperature and weather. The northernmost part of Minnesota and Michigan may actually end up with more moderate temperatures and weather patterns. Is that necessarily bad? I mean, because what you're doing, if you get warmer temperatures and maybe you get less extreme winters, what you're doing is you're getting more farmland, more cropland, maybe more places for people to live. Could you imagine? I mean, if you've ever seen a map of Canada, all the cities are right along the border. I mean, it just goes all along the border. And the rest of Canada, desolate. Sure, you might have Edmonton and Calgary and some of those uh, more towards the west. And then, of course, the way it goes with Montreal and maybe into Nova Scotia, obviously, with the land masses and the way the land is, the geography of it. But it's all hoarding near the border because the rest of it is just too cold. Could you imagine if all of Canada, at least a little bit more of it, had warmer temperatures and more moderate climates? You can expand. We won't have to eat mealworms and crickets and grasshoppers in our food. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up. Do an internet search of Tyson meats and other meats that are including it into your uh, food. But, um, but is that such a bad thing to have more area landmass to live? Probably not so bad. What about the Nordic region? Average temperatures in Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland are expected to increase more than the global average over the ensuing decade, as much as 3 to 5% Celsius by 2080. While that will necessitate some adaptation, the region should benefit. So as it's getting warmer, there should be some benefit to it. Agricultural growing seasons will be significantly expanded. New plant, land, animal, and fish species will also thrive in the region. So, again, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, you're getting more food, new plant life, land animals, maybe growing, I guess as long as they're not cows and flatulating, and fish species will thrive. At the same time, the region's use of electricity is projected to fall the most in Europe as warming winters will reduce demand for heating. Look at that. Less electricity less people dying because of the cold. I knew, I know that when you get extreme heat, you have problems, right? I mean, in Los Angeles, I think it was the summer of maybe 2020, August hottest month of that year. I remember. And the electricity goes out in Alhambra. It's like a, over a hundred and maybe 110. I was in Pasadena at the time. And I had electricity, fortunately, so I had my AC running. But a lot of people without it. Oh, what about the rolling blackouts in California just because the electrical grid can't take the demand? So maybe it's okay to have more moderate conditions. Less electricity to try to warm the place during the wintertime. Less chopping down trees for firewood. In Canada, it says perhaps no country on Earth stands to gain more from climate change than Canada. While three-quarters of the nation will take hits to their national economies. Okay, that might be a bad thing. We recognize that. But Canada is projected to see oversized benefits. It goes their national income could swell to an astounding 247%. More tourism. Greatly expanded growing seasons reduced infrastructure costs, increased maritime shipping, and it goes on and on. The significant freshwater reserves will increase. And as much as 4.2 million square kilometers of newly aridable uh, farmland could be the world's new breadbasket for 50 years into the future. So there are benefits to the climate becoming warmer. NOAA, N-O-A-A, climate.gov, October 2020. Farmers in some regions may benefit from the early onset of spring and from a longer warm season that is suitable for growing crops. Studies show that up to a certain point, crops and other plants grow much better in the presence of higher carbon dioxide levels and seem to be more drought tolerant. In the long term, shipping commerce will benefit from the opening of the Northwest Passage for longer periods of the year due to the loss of Arctic sea ice, less death from prolonged cold weather. There's a lot of benefits, and people don't preach that. People don't talk about the benefits of global warming. They just think about the doom and gloom. Why? Why do they dismiss it? We can look at COVID. We're starting to realize now, Dr. Fauci, in fact, just the other day, said that that six-foot distancing thing was made up, not even based in science, the other thing was he sat there in this closed-door session, apparently, and you can go look it up for yourself on your news site if, they're new, if your news site that you look at covered it. And he denied recalling a 100 times or more certain events and facts that he promoted during COVID. So, again, the point is, is they have an agenda, just like they did with COVID. They have an agenda, and a lot of it has to do with money, like a lot of the things we talked about. Talk about the abortion industry and how much it's a multi-billion dollar industry. The transgender, you know, surgery, multi-billion dollar industry. The pandemic between a multi-billion dollar industry. Climate change, a multi-billion dollar industry. A lot of people getting rich off the climate and climate change religion. So again, keep in mind that when you talk about climate change you look outside right now and there's blizzard-like conditions going on, maybe it's not so bad. Because you have some benefits of more farmland, longer shipping lanes. Maybe you've got fish and other wildlife that are going to be more sustained because of it. More places. The planet continues to grow with people. More people on the planet. More places to put them. And the other thing, too, you got to keep in mind, which is a whole other conversation, but just look at other countries. Bangladesh and some of these other places, China, they don't comply with anything. So it's always going to be there. India, it's always going to be there. There's always going to be pollution. There's always going to be all kinds of things that's going to cause the climate and the earth to suffer. But yet we're going to take the brunt of it. Congress, they want a pay raise. Apparently they haven't had a pay raise in a number of years, but... They want a pay raise. AOC saying we need a pay raise. Congress does not need a pay raise. First of all, they haven't earned it. Lowest ratings ever. Second, over 50% of them are millionaires. At least that's conservative numbers that I could find. In fact, Congress only managed to pass 27 bills in 2023, but many of its members had much more of a productive year in the stock market according to a new report that just came out that highlights their trading performances, which was helped by the fact that Congress are supposed to be exempt or uh, which was helped by the fact so Congress is supposed to not be involved in insider trading in the nineties. They did. In fact, when the insider trading act came out, I think it was back in the thirties, uh, Congress was exempt back then. Then in the 90s, I think Newt Gingrich and his Congress was supposed to do something. But again, they've always been exempt. So they should be included in insider trading, but they're exempt from the fact that certain inner inside trading rules, insider trading rules don't apply to them. And some of the members in 2023 saw their portfolio grow well over 50%, outperforming the S&P 500 by a lot. So, again, these people get in Congress and they make all kinds of money in the stock market. They make all kinds of money with uh, donations and gifts and honorariums and, you know, ghost people writing books for them. So they make gazillions. And so, like I said, conservatively, over 50% of them are uh, millionaires. So why do they need a pay raise? We have already begun to witness, or like I said, we already witnessed, if you've lived long enough, a Congress that has been filled with lifetime politicians. And look where we're out in this country. Okay. Congress gets paid $175,000 a year. The average mean household income in the U.S. in 2022 was $65,000. So Congress, one person in Congress, one person in that household is making well over double what the average American household brings in in 2022. So how many of them go to Congress and become millionaires? How many of them engage in unethical behavior? I mean, we've seen, um, what was the name, Menendez, the guy from New Jersey. He had gold bars and other gifts given to him, and he's under indictment now. Uh, what about all the scrutiny that the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas had with gifts and donations and things? Remember the Democrats want to oust him because of it? Well, they all get the same thing. So they're all uh, crying Wolf, really. But if you can't afford to live off $175,000, maybe you should go do something else. Leave Congress. Go do something else. You don't have to be in Congress. So we should not give them a pay raise because you can go do something else. And besides, there's a chance that you're already a millionaire. And if you're not a millionaire, like AOC, yet you will be. But they sit there and they complain about having to have two houses, like one in D.C. and one someplace else. Some of them complain about living in their uh, offices or sleeping in their offices. But here's the thing when you get down to it Congress was not designed to be a full time job. You look at some of these state legislatures, and even though they might seem to be a full time job, they're really not. And Congress wasn't designed to be a full time job. You go to Congress, make sure everything's good, maybe impose some laws. And then you leave. What happens now? It's become a full-time job, even though it wasn't designed to be that way. And it's full of lawyers. Not that necessarily lawyers by themselves are bad. But if lawyers have nothing to do but sit around and create things and manipulate the law and create new laws, that's what they're going to do. Because that's a lawyer's job. You're you're a defense uh, attorney. Your guy killed somebody. Okay, let's manipulate this thing to get him off. Prosecutor. To manipulate some things to make sure he gets convicted. I mean, it goes from O.J. Simpson from one side to Derek Chauvin on the other side to all points in between. What about J-6, January 6th committee? All those people are violating the law. The people, the con- congressional people and the people that are prosecuting them. What about the people that are going after Donald Trump? Violating laws, manipulating laws, just Obliterating laws. There is no equal justice anymore. So why should Congress get any type of increase? In fact, here's the thing. When you're dealing with politicians and you're dealing with this country and you're dealing with the way things are going, it's become all about the dollar, all about an agenda, all about money. Follow it. Ukraine. Why do we give billions and billions of dollars, zillions, gazillions of dollars to Ukraine, but our southern border is wide open? I watched a clip of uh, Dana Carvey and another guy whose name escapes me right now. Uh, he was the guy that played Joe Dirt uh, and some other things with Adam Sandler. Anyways, they were having a conversation, and their eyes were opened during the COVID pandemic when the country, the U.S., was allowing people to come in unvaccinated. They're like, wait a minute, if that's the case, why are we doing all this? And that's what it is. Just look around. You can just look around and see what's going on, and that will tell you truth. Uh, Retiring Representative Patrick McHenry McHenry says that Congress needs a raise. Most of them live on a salary. Most of us don't have wealth. Well, if you look at it and you look it up, most people had wealth going into Congress. There are a few that aren't. In fact. Like I said, AOC was a bartender maybe. So, yeah, maybe she didn't have any wealth going into it. But watch her net worth is growing over time. Obviously, people say that um, inflation has taken place and that Congress should be paid now with inflation $250,000. Are you kidding me? And these are obviously mixed, Republican, Democrat. It's not a... uh, It's not a one party thing, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has long pushed for a pay raise. And this is the most important thing for Congress, arguing that's a safeguard against corruption and makes lawmakers less likely to seek income through stock trading. Okay. If that is your goal, if you have to sit there and say that we need a raise to keep us from doing some illegal stuff. Well, then you should be kicked out of Congress because obviously you do not have the ethics or the morality to be in Congress. If that's your reasoning, then your mindset is already corruption, insider trading, making a buck because there's no way you should be there and saying we need to get paid more. Otherwise, we're going to go and be corrupt. And so there you have it. So in 2024, so the point is in 2024, as we go through these elections, think about some of these things. What has your congressional person, your senator, done for you? And they're all millionaires benefiting themselves, and we all know that they don't abide by or conform to or live by the rules that they pass. We see it all the time. So maybe you need to think twice before you vote in the upcoming elections. Well, the DEI office of John Hopkins University is in a lot of hot water. Dr. Sherita Golden came out with a... I guess it's a monthly memo, and in that monthly memo for January 2024 was diversity, word of the month, privilege, or the diversity word of the month is privilege. It's a set of unearned benefits given to people who are in a specific social group. Specific social group is important because it does not include her, and yes, by the way, because it is important information she is black privilege operates on personal interpersonal cultural and institutional levels and it provides advantages and favors to members of dominant groups again another key word: dominant groups at the expense of members of other groups in the united states privilege is granted to people who have membership in one or more of these social identity groups pause before we carry on you go look it up but California, white people are less than 50% of the population. And as you look across the country and you look around the world, population is starting to even out. A lot of mixed races, mixed couples getting together. Um, The acceptance of other races. I mean, you see it on TV all the time. These, you know, asinine commercials that put like a black mom, a white dad and an Asian kid. And we're to believe that they're a family. Nothing wrong with blended families. You're just missing the point if you think that's the comment that you're offended by. But here are the things, okay? So you are privileged if you are white. If you're able body, you don't have a handicap. Then you are privileged. I think that'd be your fortunate and blessed. Heterosexuals. So white, able body, straight, cisgendered. Males, so cisgendered people, but then they put males separately. I thought a male was cisgendered. But if you're males, can you be a trans male? Because this is, males is different. So if you're a trans man, are you privileged? Christian, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, and English-speaking people. So I guess I fit every category. I guess I'm privileged. Privilege is characteristically invisible. And then this is my other favorite thing. It's invisible to people who have it. So I could sit there and say, I don't have privilege. And like, oh, yes, you, do. you just don't recognize it. Um, okay. And that's how they get away with it, by saying you don't recognize it. It's invisible to you. You have something, but it's invisible to you. So you don't recognize it. People in dominant groups often believe they have earned the privilege they enjoy. Or that everyone could have access to these privileges if only they worked to earn them. In fact, privileges are unearned and are granted to people in the dominant groups. So Dr. Sharita Golden had to retract that and put something out and have a half-assed apology because it was racist. And she just proved that in the first month of 2024, racism is alive and well. We've gotten past the point of all this. I've had to sit through DEI stuff as an educator, and it's just ridiculous because a lot of times they're looking for racist-type stuff. They're, They're the ones that are perpetrating racism and a divide. They're the ones that are keeping people separate. You are guilty even though you don't know it. I didn't do anything. See, it's invisible to you. I can't help the way I was born. How does that make me privileged just because the way I was born? In fact, nowadays it seems like if you're a woman, a minority, you have the inside on a lot of things. If you're young, you have the inside to a lot of things, but see, we've gotten so much, or should I say we've moved so far away from the dream of Martin Luther King jr. The I have a dream that one day, Well, that one day isn't here anymore. That one day is long gone. Because people now are keeping the divide. I mean, you got this right here, January 2024. You're privileged if you're white, able-bodied, straight, a male, a Christian, middle-aged, and speak English. You're, You're privileged. So you're racist. And you don't recognize it. It's invisible to you. You can't see it. But you have it, even though you deny it. And so... We've got these people that are continuing to push this DEI, racism stuff, and it's getting further and further apart from Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, which is sad because we should be getting closer and closer. Because in this day and age, there's a lot of people that have opportunity, regardless of who you are. There's a lot of people that this lady would say is privileged that is working to help the underprivileged, according to her, get privileged. There's a lot of teachers. Uh, doctors, A lot of other people that are white, middle-aged, cisgendered, male Christians that are helping others from the non-dominant groups to reach success. One person was Bear Bryant. Now, Nick Saban recently retired from Alabama, and there's been comparisons to uh, Nick Saban as being the greatest ever in all this. And, of course, immediately you have to compare him to Bear Bryant. I posted something on social media that basically just said that Bear Bryant's success was a greater achievement than Nick Saban's success during his time in Oklahoma. They both had success. They both won six national championships. Bear Bryant had 14 SEC titles. Saban, I don't think, quite had that much. Uh, Bear Bryant was in 24 bowl games at Alabama. Nick Saban, 23. Bear Bryant had 232 wins. Nick Saban had 201 wins. Okay. So again, when you take a look at the numbers as the point, is that they're very similar. There are obviously two different and distinct which here's the funny thing. Because when you talk about the greatest ever, people will say Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever. I'll bring up the point and say no, Bill Russell is the greatest basketball player ever because Bill Russell literally changed the game. Bill Russell did not have to score 50 points. Bill Russell could just sit there and alter shots by blocking them he could alter offenses by the way he played defense by the way he rebounded and in fact that's all his coach wanted him to do was just sit there and play defense get rebounds and not even worry about scoring and that's okay and that was okay because they didn't need him to score michael jordan on the bulls wanted to score kobe bryant score different game different type of player but again so when you sit there and you talk about these, who's the greatest ever people will have their opinions and they'll say why, but then in this case, when I made the comment, they bring out, oh, it's a different era, a different era. Well, it might be, but the biggest contribution that bear Bryant had was helping desegregate football in the South. And that's why his achievement was greater because he was coaching in the South. He coached in, uh, Kentucky tried to, recruit black, uh, tried to recruit black players in Kentucky. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. Alabama tried to recruit black uh, players, and Alabama was quite possibly one of the most racist states in the history of the United States. When you think about Birmingham and Selma, George Wallace, look him up if you don't know who he is. I mean, Mississippi might be right there, but again, Alabama. But before we get into it real quick, you take a look at recruiting. No TV, no internet, no DVDs or whatever to pass around to people. No uh, online video, highlight services. You had to get out on the road and try to find people. And that's what Bear Bryant did. What about just traveling? Airplanes, trains, automobiles. Planes, trains, automobiles. Completely different. Again, no technology. Games were on TV, but they were limited because you didn't have all the cable channels like you do today. Only local radio usually carried the games. Every once in a while, you may see uh, a game on TV. I remember living in L.A., and you would see Nebraska football on every once in a while because they played um, Oklahoma, and they had some other key matchups. Uh, Keith Jackson on ABC would play them, but seldom did we see Alabama and some teams in the East. Exposure was very limited. Obviously, no Internet, no cable TV that shows every game. And so it was a completely different era, yes, which made it more challenging and harder to get players in. So you had to do things to get your uh, program exposure. And so as Bear Bryant is trying to compete through the 60s, having some success, but then towards the late 60s and the end of the 60s, struggling. So he decides to invite USC. USC was kind of becoming a powerhouse, And in the 70s, they were, both in football and baseball, with the likes of Anthony Davis and others. You had uh, Charles White, Marcus Allen. I know he was in the 80s. But again, you had some of these other players that were established in the 70s that led to success in the 80s with these black running backs. So in 1970, Bear Bryant invites USC and John McKay to come to Birmingham, Alabama. Now, at the time in 1970, USC had an all-black backfield. Alabama in 1970 did not have one black person on the team, could not recruit them. School would not allow them. Society would not allow him to have somebody that was black. And he'd been trying to do it even in his days at Kentucky and probably before. But because of the segregation, could not. So USC comes out with their all-black backfield. Sam Cunningham for USC makes his debut. Rushes 12 times. (laughs) Excuse me. Check the stat. Against Alabama, he rushes only 12 times. 135 yards and two touchdowns as USC wins 42-21. Now, there were six touchdowns scored, and they were all scored by the all-black backfield. But 12 times for 135 yards and two touchdowns, that's just ridiculous numbers. Um, Now, USC's victory paired with Cunningham's dominant performance was the feather in that cap that Coach Bryant needed to convince the fan base and the higher-ups that the university should actively recruit and play black players on the football team. Now, there was a black player on the team, but he was a freshman, I guess, and couldn't play. So, you know, there was one or two here. But again, it wasn't anything predominant because of segregated and racist Alabama. So because of this performance, it changed the way that college football was played in the South. Alabama, the fans and everybody, university, everybody realized that, wait a minute, the added value of these athletes was huge. And so whatever the reasoning, it might have be self-serving, we need these athletes to win, whatever it was. But it opened the door for black players to be now have open access to football in the South and not just at historical black colleges. And so Bear Bryant, again, no internet, none of this stuff, had to do something, and he came up with, I'm going to invite USC out to Birmingham, and let's play football. And even though we got beat, the eyes were open to the value of a black athlete on the team, and it gave a lot of people a lot of opportunity. And so now you fast forward to Nick Saban and his career. I mean, you look at uh, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tavalova, I mean, a number of people on and on and on that were black athletes that are playing in the South and on the Alabama team. Now, eventually it would have happened, but had not Bear Bryant been proactive. And in fact, I read a quote somewhere that said Bear Bryant probably had more to do with desegregation in the South than Martin Luther King Jr. Now, that's a bit extreme, but the point behind it makes sense, that no matter what we're doing in life, if we're not helping somebody else, if we're not trying to raise the standard in other people, and it's okay to benefit from it if it's legit. Obviously, you don't want to be like the people in the Congo and other places that are having child laborers get the rare materials out of the ground for a buck a day. That's not doing anything. But if we're legitimately out there trying to help others and bring them along with us, that's a game changer. That is where you're starting to change not only the culture of society, but you're changing the culture of America. I mean, I always talked about it, how you have to start in your neighborhoods, right, then your communities, and then maybe you grow from there, right? Everything has to start at grassroots level. We're not going to change this country at a national level. It's too far screwed up and gone at a national level. The corruption at the ultimate levels, the top levels is extreme. We're not going to fix it. Got to get rid of it start the ground, grassroots level, and then build up. And that's what Bear Bryant and others have done, whether it's Martin Luther King uh, Jr., whether it was the Dodgers and Jackie Robinson. you know, They started somewhere. You had to start somewhere and now look at the opportunity. So when you go back to what the John Hopkins and Dr. Golden had to say, you're this, this, this. Well, what if Bear Bryant, what if the Dodgers, what if others that were privileged, did not use their privilege to help others. Where would we be in this country? And again, it goes back to it's all reverse racism because you can't call people out with privilege. Now there's other people. I mean, LeBron James, there was a video of LeBron James walking into a game. I think it was at USC national anthems playing and he doesn't care. He's just doing his own thing, walking through, not paying respect, got a lot of flack for that, whatever. But again, it goes both ways. You've got privileged people, people, of all kinds now. It doesn't matter. It's not just limited to one. And with that privilege, what are you going to do? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. If you are privileged according to society, then how are you going to use that privilege and how you use that privilege to benefit others? And that's only a question that you can answer. Two Steps ed podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen. Let yourself be great. I'm signing them Check out our website, radiowarp.com. That's radio, W A R P, radiowarp.com. You can check out our shows there. You can uh, listen 24 7. We have a live streaming. Just click the listen live button in the upper right hand corner. And there's some other things there as well that you can uh, be entertained with. You can email the show, two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. Everything is T W O when it comes to the two. So two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. Instagram, Facebook, two steps ahead podcast. Um, you can subscribe to our Rumble page and our SoundCloud page and never miss an episode. And you can do that through our um, website. We have links there. We also have links in the bio for uh, Facebook and Instagram, or you can just do an internet search, Two Steps Ed podcast, and we pop up. And so we're pretty easy to find, uh, not too difficult. Um, And then if you want to reach out, by all means, uh, the email's the best or even a direct message on um, Instagram or even Facebook. And so anyway, so we're easy easy to find. But again, as we look towards 2024, a couple things to keep in mind. You've got a political year, an election year that's going to be nasty. It's going to be ugly. How do you want? Are you going to die on the sword of an ideology, a political ideology? Are you going to defend a politician just because of the D or the R next to his name? Don't you want to raise the standard? What has a politician done for you? Ask yourself that. What would this politician that I'm going to vote for do for me? Because right now, all they do is look for themselves, look out for themselves. They don't care about you. They'll come knocking and say, I'm going to do all this for you. But go back and look at these lifers that have been in Congress and how many times they come knocking on your door and say, this is what I'm going to do for you. Are you better off today than you were then? Have they done anything to help you? And then if you are someone that's in a position of so-called privilege, whether or not it's because of race, because of religion, because of wealth, whatever, but you're privileged, what are you going to do with that privilege? Are you going to help others? Legitimately help others. Not just do it because it increases your social status or makes you look good, but you genuinely have a concern for other people and you want to bring them along. You want to bring out your inner greatness, raising the standard. So that inner greatness comes out so that you achieve things so that then you can motivate and inspire others to do the same, but maybe they need some polling too. Maybe they need some help to elevate so their greatness can come out and so on. And by doing that, you're inspiring others. And that's where greatness continues because you're great. Now they're great. Now they influence somebody else and they're great. And it goes on and on and on. And you might not even know about it, but now's the time. Now's the time to take the initiative and to try to have an impact, not only in the new year, but for years to come. But well, it starts with the heart because what's on the heart is going to be consume or consuming your thoughts. Your thoughts will dictate your actions and then your actions will Basically tell people who you are. Are you someone that is producing actions and things in your life that are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, things that are typically thought of as good things, benevolent things? Or are you going to have the lust of self where you're going to be greed, revenge, anger, and those type of things, things that are producing basically evil. That's what it comes down to. Once again, Son Edom, Two Steps Ahead podcast. Take your passion, make it happen. Let yourself be great. And until next time, God bless.